Take your Bibles, if you would, and stand with me and turn to the book of Romans. As we think about the verdict that Christ gives, not guilty, we need to remember in Romans chapter 14, as we'll take a look there this morning, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 14 and verse 12, so then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Turn over to Luke chapter 19, if you would, because that's going to be the main text. But uh, Romans chapter 14 is the text that we're we're taking and, and understanding that this morning, stewardship is responsibility. Last week, we looked at stewardship as management, but this morning, we're going to take a look at stewardship is responsibility. I'm getting a little bit of feedback here, guys. If I could, if you could get, uh, adjust that for me, I'd appreciate it. Um, and in Luke chapter 19, verses 11, <coughs> excuse me, through 27, if you would. And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh unto Jerusalem. And because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, Then he commanded these servants to be called unto him to whom he had given the money that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained 10 pounds. And he said unto him, well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little, have thou authority over 10 cities. And the second saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said, likewise to him, be thou also over five cities. And another came saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. For I feared thee because thou art an austere man. Thou takest up that thou layest not down and reapest that thou didst not sow. And he said unto him, out of thine own mouth, will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man taking up that I laid not down and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore then gavest not thou my money into the bank, that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury? And he said unto them that stood by, Take from him the pound, and give it to him that hath ten pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. For I say unto you, that unto every one which, shall, which hath shall be given And from him that hath not, even that he hath shall be taken away from him. But those mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, I pray that you would be with this service. And I ask, dear Lord, that you would help us to be able to understand Bible principles to apply them to our lives. Father, I pray that as this message is preached, that it would come across in the right way, trying to get God's people to understand the principles of stewardship. 
Lord, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for how it lays out for us the responsibility of our stewardship that each one of us has. I thank you for the privilege of being able to preach your word. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, be with those who may not know you this morning, that they would come to know you. And Father, I thank you for how good you've been to us. I thank you for your many blessings to us. And I thank you for allowing us to be able to be here this morning, corporately together. I pray that you would take any distraction from my mind and my heart and that I would be able to preach openly and clearly your word in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. you may be seated. Guys, I'm still getting a, a ringing. If you could help me out there, I greatly appreciate it. I don't know if you guys can hear it out there, but I can definitely hear it back here. Maybe it's just bells in my head. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I wish I could tell you that this, the material that I have and these things that I have are all original with me. They're not. As a matter of fact, I think about 30 years ago, we might have delved into this uh, maybe in a different format, but um, this, this is uh, uh, really a stewardship campaign that that's, was like developed, like I said, about 30 or 35 years ago. And, uh, but I, I thought that the principles in there that I had been taught were very good and that needed to be uh, maybe updated a little bit uh, and, and retaught again. And so I believe it was John Maxwell and Elmer Towns, I think, put this together. And I think that we had used it here. Matter of fact, I'm 99%. I'm I'm, I know we've used it here before, but I believe that it will be uh, good for all of us to understand stewardship a little bit better from that first message that we had last week till uh, the last message that we'll have in February uh, on uh, stewardship. And we're talking about growing in giving, growing in giving. I mentioned to you last week that many people stew over stewardship. And the reason that they stew over stewardship is because they feel like someone's trying to take something from them. And, and that's not the case. If you truly understand stewardship, you're going to find out that, that somebody's not trying to take something from you. Matter of fact, what's trying to be done is giving you principles to be able to live your life so that you can be a good steward of what God has entrusted to you. So that way, one day you'll hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So that one day you'll have fruit that will abound to your account. We've all heard the slogan, be all you can be. And what they're actually saying is they're saying, look, we want you to reach your full potential. We want you to do everything that you can to, to reach the pinnacle of who you were created to be. And that's not a bad slogan, but for believers this morning, we need to be all that God wants us to be. Not all that you can be for yourself, but we need to be all that God wants us to be. See, God expects each and every one of us. He expects each and every one of us to develop all of our potential, not for ourselves, but for his honor and glory. That's what we're to be doing. See, being mediocre I don't know about you, but I, I, I don't like mediocre. Though I do like, my wife will ask me, she'll call me, say, what type of ice cream do you want from uh, the, the store? And I'll tell her, I want non-fat, non-caloric, non-clogging uh, uh, the arteries type of ice cream. She says, there is not. I said, well, then get me Briars. I don't care. Um, <laughs> but what, what I, I do like just plain vanilla ice cream. And that's kind of mediocre. 
But wait a second, you haven't seen my kind of plain vanilla ice cream because then I put chocolate caramel on it and I put a whipped cream, a lot of whipped cream. I mean, that's, gonna, that's manna from heaven. That's actually what was in the Old Testament. It's whipped cream. I mean, there, I put lots of whipped cream and the, the cherries and the, the nuts, if you like nuts. And uh, you put all this stuff on. Man, that, that, I've, I have raised vanilla ice cream to its full potential at that point. But see, mediocre always falls short of God's perfect will for your life. Listen, mediocrity is falling short of God's will for your life. God doesn't want you to be mediocre. God doesn't want you to just be average. God doesn't want you to be, I was going to say normal, but I know most of you, most of you are not normal. But God doesn't want you to be normal. He's got more for each and every one of us. And just before Jesus was going to Jerusalem to die on the cross for the sins of the world, he gives to us this parable. And what we find in this parable that there were those who fulfilled their potential, if you will, or we're going to use the term responsibility. They fulfilled their responsibility. And there was one who didn't fulfill his responsibility. See, Jesus was teaching this principle of being a responsible steward. And when the Bible speaks of stewardship, it's emphasizing the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ over every area of our life. Now, I know we're in stewardship month, and most of the time when we think of stewardship, what do we think of? Okay, let's try that again. Uh, When we're in stewardship month and we think of stewardship, what are most of the things that we think of? Money, that's a little bit better. All right. And that's true. We do think of that. And, and that's part of stewardship. But stewardship has to do with the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ over every area of your life. And that's what Jesus is teaching here. See, the problem is that many Christians are like the citizens of Luke chapter 19 and verse 14 in this parable that says, we don't want this man to rule over us. See, innately, because of our sin nature, we want to rule ourselves. We want to be large and in charge. We want to be the Frank Sinatra of our life, right? I did it my way. Well, if you do it your way, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful at all, if you do it your way in all of life, you're going to end up dying and going to hell. See, we've, we have got to understand that the lordship of Christ is necessary for every area of our life. And though we may not say, we don't want this man to rule over our life. You say, pastor, I've been, I've been faithful to open Bible for, for 40 years or 20 years or 10 years. I mean, I'm a born again Christian. I would never say that I, I don't want this man, that I don't want Jesus to rule over my life. Of course, I want Jesus to rule over my life. Though we may not say it, if we truly look at our lives, we're living that way. And see, this, this type of attitude, it robs us of great spiritual blessing that God wants to give to us. This way of living, it hinders the blessings that God wants to give to us, and it puts us really in disfavor with God. Though it doesn't cause us to lose our salvation, but it does cause us to have broken fellowship. This is what I want you to think about throughout this week with this message. Responsibility 
Remember Romans chapter 14, verse 12, right? We're all going to give an account. So responsibility results in accountability. This is what I want you to take home. You can take the message in this one sentence. Responsibility always results in accountability. See, the level to which you are responsible, to which you and I are responsible, will determine your stewardship. So how responsible you are will determine what type of steward you are. Either you will be a responsible steward or you'll be an irresponsible steward. I'd like you to write down number one here. You and I, you are to be a responsible steward. You are to be a responsible steward. Take a look at Luke chapter 19 and verses 12 through 15. It's, uh, he's, uh, it says, and he called it, verse 13, and he called his 10 servants and delivered unto them 10 pounds and said unto them, occupy till I come. The parable of these pounds teaches us that everyone is responsible. So what that means is that we all have a responsibility. But I want you to understand the focus here is not on how much one servant had over another servant. You say, well, some had 10, some had five, and some had one. That's not the emphasis of this parable. The focus of the parable is what did each servant do with what they had? God's not concerned about how much we have. Remember, he's the one who gives us all the blessings anyway. God's primary concern for you and for me is what are we doing with what we have been given? See, God's concerned with our faithfulness. He's concerned with the faithfulness of our responsibility to what we've been given. And God has entrusted us and he wants us to maximize our effective use of the various resources he's given to us. I want you to take a look at verse 12. If you would, you're a responsible steward. Why should I be a responsible steward? Letter A, if you're taking notes, the king is coming back. The king is coming back. And he said, therefore, a certain nobleman went to a far country to see for himself a kingdom and to return. Turn over to Matthew chapter 16, if you would, please. Matthew chapter 16. There is no doubt Jesus is using this again. This is a story, a parable that Jesus is using. It's an it's a earthly illustration. To, a parable is an earthly illustration to emphasize a spiritual truth. And so there's no doubt that Jesus or this king is coming back. He made it very clear. He said that he was coming back. The workers, they received their instructions. In verse, I think it was 13, it said, occupy till I come. They knew that their master would be back. It wasn't any surprise. Now listen, it's no surprise to you and to me because of what the word of God says, if you read the word of God, that you're to be a responsible steward. And it's no surprise that the king is going to want an accounting of how you steward your life. Take a look at Matthew chapter 16, if you would, please. And verse 27. For the son of man shall come in the glory of his father with his angels 
And then he shall reward every man according to his works. Turn over to John, if you would, chapter 14, if you would, please. See, not only is the king coming back, but we are going to be rewarded according to our stewardship. John chapter 14. So the king is coming back, but we're going to see he's coming back not only to give an account, but he's coming back to rule and to reign over us. Take a look at John chapter 14 and verse 2. In my father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. I want you to turn over to Acts chapter 1, if you would, please. The king is coming back, not only to take an account, but the king is coming back to rule and to reign. Acts chapter 1, if you would. And let's take a look at uh, verse 11. Acts chapter 1 and verse 11. Which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into this heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven, shall come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Not only is the king coming back to rule and to, uh, to give an account, uh, for, to take an account, but he's to rule and to reign over us. Hebrews chapter 9, if you would please. And let's take a look at verse uh, 28. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 28. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. And then the last reference I want you to take a look at is Revelation chapter uh, 1 and verse 7. So the king is coming back to give an account, to take an account, but the king is also coming back to rule and to reign over us. The book of the Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7, behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall well, beca shall well because of him, even so, amen. The king's coming back. See, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal savior, you can delight in the king coming back. You can be excited about the king coming back. As a matter of fact, Scripture tells us that we should be looking for the king to come back. But this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you know now that he is coming back. And you're going to have to give an account of what you've done with the offer of salvation. The offer of salvation is to every man. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You say, what do you mean shall be saved? What do I got to be saved from? The Bible says, for all have sinned. You're a sinner. You say, well, that's easy for you to say, preacher. You can stand up there in your clerical garb and you can look all pompous and everything. You're calling me a sinner. What about you? I'm a sinner as well. You've got to realize that you're a sinner because you're going to give an account of what you've done with the offer of salvation. And the reason that Jesus came was not so that we could have a day off from work. The reason that Jesus came was so that he could save us from our sins. 
The reason that Jesus came was to destroy the works of the devil. You want to know why there's evil in the world? Why would, a, why would a God, a loving God, allow all this evil in the world? Number one, this isn't the world that God created. God created a perfect world. Man messed it up. And this is the result of man being their own master. That's the reason God sent his son so that that way he could destroy the works of the devil and that you and I can have a relationship with God Almighty. So let me ask you, friend, if you don't know Christ, your personal Savior, what are you going to do with the offer of salvation? Realize that you're a sinner. Realize that Jesus Christ is the only one that can save you from your sins. Buddha can't save you from your sins. Mr. Moon can't save you from the sins. Any of the thousands of Hindu gods can't save you from your sins. There is no God uh, outside of the Lord Jesus Christ that can save you from your sins. So what are you going to do with the offer of salvation? Because one day you're going to give an account. Maybe you're like this one in verse 20 that hid the master's money. Listen, you're not going to be able to hide from the all-searching eye of God. When you're going to give an account from God, you're going to stand directly before him and give an account of what you've done with your life and what, I, what I've done with my life. See, the problem is that this worker here in verse 20 probably did not believe that the master was coming back. Turn over to Second Peter because there are those today that believe that Jesus is not going to come back. But let me tell you, just as he came the first time, he's coming the second time. They've heard the claim that Jesus is coming back, but they mock and they scoff and they laugh and they ridicule us as Christians that we're hoping in something that is false. But just as Jesus came the first time, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. Just like Jesus came the first time and it was ordained of God the exact time, he's coming the second time that's ordained of God the exact time. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3, the Bible says, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, scoffers walking after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this, they are willingly ignorant of. Listen, whether you believe it or not, it still doesn't make it any less true. The king is coming back. And if you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, you're going to have to give an account for the gospel offer that's been delivered to you. But if you know Christ as your personal Savior, you're going to have to give an account of your stewardship. Because just as we would believe that there are going to be, there will be those who will give an account of how they have accepted or rejected the offer of salvation, there are those here underneath the sound of my voice that know Christ their personal Savior, that you are going to have to give an account of what you've done with your life, what you've done with your resources, what you've done with your intellect, what you've done with your health. You're going to have to give an account for that. Not only is the king coming back, but let her be, if you would please, the king has entrusted us with his resources. Turn back to our key text of Luke chapter 19, if you would please, and verse 13. The king has entrusted us with his, 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 his resources. Just want to make sure that we got that point. And he called his 10 servants. Hmm. It doesn't say, and he called servants. It doesn't even say, and he called the servants. It says that he called his 10 servants. And if you understand anything about the word of God and when it talks about servants there, he owned them. 
They were his. They were his property. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. See, the point that Jesus is making is that the funds always belong to the master. The Bible tells us here that the master told his servants, he said, I want you to occupy till I come. The word occupy in the Greek, the, word, the Greek word behind that English translation there is a commercial term. It means to trade. The master, so what is Jesus saying? The master clearly wanted his servants to invest the resources that he had given to them to increase his overall investment. And listen, this morning, you know, every single one of us, God has entrusted with, uh, with uh, us with gifts and holds us responsible to invest them. Isn't it interesting, though, that God has entrusted kingdom work to human beings? Kingdom work is so great that many wonder why God would leave it to human beings. Think about it. When we have an important task, well, let me put it to you this way. If you want a job right, uh, done right, what do you say? Do it yourself. And when we have important tasks, what do we do? We're not going to, uh-uh, no, 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 no. I, I, I'll take care of that. Because you want to make sure it's done right. But God has given us an important task. As a matter of fact, God's given us the most important task in the world. I want you to turn over to Mark, if you would, chapter uh, 16. We're talking about stewardship is responsibility. Look at Mark chapter 16. He's given us the most important task in the world. In Mark chapter 16, we find this in verse 15. Mark 16, 15, the Bible says, and he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He's given us the most important task in the world and he's commanded us that most important task is to evangelize the lost. It's to evangelize the lost. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians, if you would, chapter 4. I want you to see this here because many times this portion of Scripture is used uh, for financial uh, uh, preaching. And, uh, but if you look at it in context, and I'm not saying it's necessarily wrong to use that principle, but if you look at it in context, you'll find it's talking about stewarding the gospel. Very rarely do we ever think about stewardship in realms of the gospel. Let me ask you, did you hand out an invite this week? Did you talk to anybody about the gospel this week? Did you open up your Bible and share the love of Jesus Christ with somebody this week? Are you stewarding the gospel? Listen, I would challenge all of you this morning on your way out to pick up some invite cards and to start handing them out. You say, Pastor, I can't even, I, I, I'm scared to lead somebody to the Lord. I, I don't know how to lead somebody to the Lord. I know that I'm saved, but I, I, I'm not sure what to say. I mean, I'd be like Elmer Fudd, but, it, but, it, but, it, but, it, but that's all, folks. You know, I, I don't know what I would do. I, I don't know how to do that. Here, here you go. I'm going to give you what you need to say. You pick up that invite card and say, hi, how you doing? I'd like you to invite, us, invite you to our church. I think you can do that, can't you? I, I, you could do that. And on the back of that, it's got a little gospel invitation there. And they would be able to, I think all of us can be able to say, hey, I'd like to invite you to our church. We got a friendly church and we got the most good looking pastor in all of South Jersey. I was expecting to hear a bunch of rousing amens. 
And all God's people said, oh, man, I tell you what, that sounds like the Presbyterians. I don't know. <laughs> but you can do that, can't you? And that, that's a start in stewarding the gospel. You say, well, I can't get out much I, I, uh, because of my age and my, my bill. You know what you can do? You can take some of those invite cards and you can slip them in bills. You say, those people aren't ever going to come to our church. Yeah, but they might read the back and get the gospel. See, the king has entrusted us with his resources. And one of the things that we need to steward is the gospel message. Take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1 and 2. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and the stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. See, we're to steward the gospel. Not only we're to steward our finances and, and the things that God has entrusted, we're to steward the gospel. He's also commanded us to be salt and light, according to Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, to steward having a godly influence over the world that you come in contact with. That's why I don't want a bunch of Christians that act one way on Sunday, man, they're hooting and hollering, amen, raising their hand, praise God. And then on Monday through Saturday, they're cussing up a storm. They're acting like the world. They're living like the world. Why? You're not steward. You're not being salt and light. You're not stewarding. You say, well, pastor, they made me mad. And if they hadn't made me mad, I wouldn't have said that word or I wouldn't have done that. Yes, you would have because the Bible tells us that out of the abundance of the mouth, the heart speaketh, right? So you got to get something cleaned up on the inside here. And you thought this was all stewardship, just about money, huh? I'm hitting everything this morning. <laughs> but he's entrusted us with these resources. Let me ask you, you've got a responsibility. What are you doing with it? God has chosen the human race to take the spreading of the message of salvation to the world. And let her see here, if you would, please. Let her see. The king will judge us by how we use our gifts you are to be a responsible steward. The king will judge us by how we use our gifts. Verse 15, take a look back in our text. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him to whom he had given the money that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. See, the master returned and Basically, this is what he's saying. He says, what have you done with what I've given to you? What have you done with what I've entrusted to you? The point of the passage is once again emphasized by what is not said. Unlike most businessmen, this businessman, this king, he was not concerned about the bottom line, the P&L statement. Most businessmen, you know what they're concerned with? With the bottom line. His primary concern was not the amount of the return. His primary concern was how well the servants did with what they had been entrusted to them. Too many times we think when we think about stewardship, we're like, well, I can't uh, give as much as somebody else. I can't do as much as somebody else. I don't have as many talents as somebody else. It's not about what you've been given. It's about what you do with what you've been given. The master was concerned. He was more concerned whether the servants had taken their responsibility seriously. 
Those who took their responsibility seriously, if you can look, but for lack of time, we won't, verses 16 and 18, they were rewarded. They were rewarded. The one who didn't take his responsibility seriously, judgment fell. In the kingdom of God, as we are faithful with the responsibility that God has entrusted to us, God will give us more. He'll expand our influence. When we are, when we are faithful to do what we are called to do, we're rewarded with more. This is what I want you to remember. Not only is responsibility, it equals accountability. Listen, it's impossible. That's a pretty strong word, isn't it? Impossible. It is impossible to invest the resources God has given to us without receiving a return. When you invest in the work of God, you can be guaranteed you will receive a return. It's impossible not to. Now, I didn't say that you're always going to receive money. But I guess I could put it to you this way. You remember the children of Israel. God cared for them for 40 years. Shoes didn't wear out. Clothing didn't wear out. They had plenty of food. The point is, God may not always reward us with tangible things, with funds. But you know what he might reward us with? A wonderful relationship with another believer in Christ that say, man, if I had to go through anything, I'm so thankful that they're there. He, he could reward us with possibly, he does maybe reward us with tangible things without the car breaking down. I was talking with another member of our church recently and I was, we were talking about some things of the Lord and I had said, man, you know, we had to send two girls to college. We increased our giving. And me and my wife looked back on it. And it just doesn't match up. There is no way that this financially makes sense. We look at each other. How did we do it? You want to know how we did it? I'll tell you how we did it. There's a secret. I'm going to give it to you. You might want to write it down because this will solve all your problems. How do we do it? We didn't. He did. He did. Because if you place the, the, if you place the money next to the month and the bills, money, I got more month than I got money and more bills than I got money. And it's just not...
Why? You say, well, why did you live that way? Because I'm the very responsible steward and God will judge us by how we use our gifts. Let me ask you this morning. Are you a responsible steward? I'm not just talking about finances. Remember, stewardship in the Bible has the overarching meaning that Christ is Lord of all. The Lordship of Christ in everything. Oh, yes, we're talking about giving to the church. I've, I've asked everybody in our church to consider if you're not tithing, to start tithing. That's the start. And if you are tithing, to prayerfully consider about increasing your tithe by 5%. But what about the other areas of your life? Are you stewarding your time? Are you stewarding your relationships? Are you stewarding your job? Are you stewarding your health? For those of you who know Christ, we're going to be held responsible for all of that and more. But for those of you who may not know Christ this morning, how are you going to steward the gospel? Because one day, just like I'm standing in front of you, one day all of us, each and every one of us, are going to stand before God and we're going to have to give an account. If you say, it's just too hard for me to believe. Just don't know if I. God's going to look at you one day after he's given you this chance. He's given you all these years so far that you've lived. And by God's grace, hopefully he'll give you many more. So you can't say God's been unfair. Can't say that you're not going to be held responsible. But he's going to look at you one day. He's going to say, depart from me for I never knew you. And then it's all over then it's too late. See, we're always concerned about what, well, what's going to happen if I do? Christians are concerned about what's going to happen if I do increase my giving. How are the bills going to be met? The unsaved person says, what's going to happen if I do commit my life to the Lord? What? <laughs> In both instances, I can answer that question the same way. God will take care of you.